You are listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Terry Riley titled, Why Money Matters, from the series Financial Correctness. For more info, visit us online at creekside.org. If you look on your program, you'll see that we're talking about financial incorrectness. We're going to do a brief series on that. I call it that term because politically incorrect, politically correct is kind of one of those big new words that's been bandied about and it's part of our our, our American lexicon now. In the Bible, though, we see many practical principles around money that many would say they're really incorrect and they're kind of archaic. And yet, I know this room is filled with people who, if I allowed, if I wanted you to, you would stand up and say, oh, no, they're very correct, and they've really helped me. So we're going to take some of those stories, we're going to take some of those principles, we're going to talk about them for the next few weeks. But here's what I want you to do before I get into it. Would you just all take a deep breath right now and relax? <laughs> take a deep breath. Especially if you're a guest, this doesn't necessarily apply to you. Although I think there'll be some great things that if you really did take them away, they would be wonderful to help you. Everybody got your deep breath? Okay. Now, if you have a, if you have a wallet, um, or you know, you've got some ladies in your purse, you might want to take that out and give it to the spouse that never spends money, that's frugal. Or what I oftentimes ask, you know, take it and sit on it. That way you don't have to worry about me trying to get into it, you know. So if you want to do that just to feel safe, go ahead. If you're newer to Creekside, I'm going to tell you these things because they are really, it's not an apology. It's really not an apology. It's really a statement, a little bit of a disclaimer, because let's say you're been, maybe you're in your five times you've been to Creekside or worse, it's your first time today. I am going to do for you exactly what you hope would never happen. I go to church and what do they do? They talk about money. (laughs) Well, that's funny. That's good. You can laugh. It's, uh, unless you brought a friend, you're going, oh, man. But um, I'm going to talk about it because it's important. But here's the point. If you've been at Creekside for very long, this is what you know. I have not talked about money in a series for two and a half, excuse me, for almost two years. This church doesn't talk about money a lot. As a matter of fact, if you'll notice, if you've been here or if it's your first, we, we don't pass a plate. As a matter of fact, I went in the last year, I went six months. Six months and never mentioned money one time on Sunday morning. So what I want, I tell you all that because I don't want you to think that this is common. This is important. But so many people have such a bad taste in their mouth from the way churches talk about and deal with money. I never want that to happen with people. But now let's say, you know, this really ticks you off because it's your first couple of Sundays here. You know, by all means, go visit another church while I take the next couple of weeks to do that if it really bothers you. And then I'll pray they talk about money. And, uh, <laughs> but this is one of those very practical things, loved ones, that I really believe will help you. And it's so practical, but it also has a spiritual dimension that we'll be weaving and tying into this whole process for the next couple of weeks. People get really wiggly when churches begin to talk about money. They think, oh no, here we go again. They just want my money. Well, of course. (laughs) Why else would we want you here? But that's not true. 
I really do want to help you. And um, our church has been wonderfully blessed. And, and I said when I came here, and this place was in deep financial weeds. But I said when I come here, if I ever have to be a salesman or I ever have to beg for money, I will, I will not do the ministry. Because I've seen where pastors, you know, they, 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 they weave money into almost every talk. I mean, if they're talking about sex, they'll bring money into it and, or whatever. And, and I said I would never do that. But that said, this is one of the key areas in everybody's life that if they don't get a good grip on it, it will get a grip on them for the good or for the bad. So that's why I'm going to talk about it for the next few weeks. And I never just talk about giving. I always tie it in with, we'll talk about debt. We'll talk about understanding money today and why it matters. So are you good at that? You're stuck. Father, thanks for your word. We're going to talk about this very practical issue called money. And you seem to make it a very spiritual matter. And sometimes we think we're really spiritual, but probably one of the greatest ways to tell is how we see and deal with our money. So as we talk today, I pray that beyond money we would see Jesus in the scriptures, that we'd never be like the Pharisees who you said you search them, but you never see me. So in the process of this practical talk, let there be the spiritual endowment of the life of Christ that gets deposited into our lives today as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, for some people, money matters too much. Have you ever seen that? Others, they don't give it, uh, they don't give enough. They don't get a grip on it and give enough importance to it. But God has a lot to say about it. Jesus talked about money a great deal. By one count, 16 of his 38 parables concerned how to handle money and possessions. One of 10 verses in the Gospels deal directly with the subject of money and possessions. There's more than 2,000 verses in the Bible on money and possessions. The largest book in the Bible is Psalm 119. The focus is the word. The second longest book in the Bible is number seven. And what does it talk about? Money. The Bible talks a lot about money. Some would say, well, it's because God just wants to pick our pocket. I don't think so. Scripture says he, owes the, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and it's kind of a, uh, kind of a colloquialism to say he's got it all. You know, he, he doesn't need your resources. He will do what he wants, but he also understands the grip that finances can get on our lives. And because of that and due to that, he wants to grow up his children knowing that they need to understand resources, and finances. And so today I want to look briefly, well, quickly, on why it matters. Because I want everybody in this room to be free to experience the true riches of life beyond money, but in the process to be able to understand money in a way to give them freedom. Now hear me, so that you don't misunderstand me. I think being rich is great. I mean, I, I would love to be rich, okay? And I am compared to the world. You are too. The, the least well-to-do person in this room is still considered rich by most of the world's standards. But I mean just rich. I think it'd be great. And so whatever I say, don't ever think that I have a gospel or a teaching of, of lack of prosperity. 
But I won't go to the other extreme too and say that, well, you're really, you know, God really loves you because you've got money or God's dissatisfied with you because you don't. Because there's a lot of practical factors there. Some of us have jobs that we love and we stay with and the ceiling, the financial ceiling isn't, you know, we're there. So there's a lot of factors in it. But I have no problem with anybody being rich. I don't care how much money you make and God probably doesn't either as long as you really don't care. See, it's all about the heart. And we'll see that here this morning. So don't think that I'm trying to promote some kind of gospel of poverty. Um, but I just never want money to have a grip on us. So money is important. Very practically, we all know this. How many of you ever worry about money? Yeah. Okay. Uh, how many of you would like to have more money? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I mean, I, I would. Let's be honest. It'd be great. But money's important for some very practical reasons. Number one, to provide for our current needs. How many of you like to eat, drive a car, have a nice warm place to stay? Yeah, okay, we need money for just those practical needs. Also, for future preparation, Proverbs 6, 6 through 11 says this. One of the passages in there says this. Go to the ant, consider its ways, and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, no ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. See, how many of you do fine financially until the car dies? Or the, the, the washing machine or the dishwasher breaks down and all of a sudden it's cataclysmic. See, I think it's like 65 or 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And we want to help you move out of that. But there's also a grander purpose for our resources and our finances. And you'll note on your notes there, Ephesians 4.28, where that verse commands us to work so that not only do we have something for ourselves, but for a grander person to have something to share with those in need. So that we're given to others. Now, some of us don't like that. Because some of us go, well, I'm struggling. Well, right there is a grip on your heart that you need to make sure it gets loosened. Because you've got to be able to go, yeah, I'm blessed. And I need to be a blessing to others. Remember the mantra that we often say around here, if you want to be blessed, be blessable. And so that's the whole part of this process. And even God's word, he says, listen, you are not called just to make money to build up your own little financial reserves. You're called to be a blessing to other people in need. So Jesus seemed to think money was really important. And the Bible talks a lot about it. So we're going to talk about it. So money's really important, but it also has kind of this spiritual test alongside of it. If you look at Luke chapter 16, we're going to look at this fascinating story and just get a few principles and see some things out of it. Luke chapter 16, verse 1, it says this. Now Jesus said to his disciples, he's telling a, he's telling a parable here, a story, an earthly, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He says, there was this rich man who received an accusation that his manager was squandering his possessions. So he called the manager in and he asked him, what is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer be my manager. He's basically telling me what the scoop is here, dude, because you're about ready to get fired. Well, then the manager said to himself, hmm, what should I do? My master's taking the management away from me. I'm not strong enough to dig. 
I'm too ashamed to beg. Ah, I know what I'll do. So that when I am removed from this management, people will welcome me into their homes. He's going to kind of do this quid pro quo thing. So he summoned each of the master's debtors. How much do you owe my master? He asked the first one. Ah, about 100 measures of oil. He said, ah, take your invoice, he told him. Sit down quickly and write 50. <laughs> Next he asked another, how much do you owe? Oh, about 100 measures of wheat. He said, okay, take your invoice, he said, and write 80. <coughs> well, the master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted astutely. Some of your translations will say unrighteously. Uh, some of them will say shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more astute than the sons of light in dealing with their own people. What he's saying is, is you know, the people of the world, they seem to have a greater ability to use resources and finances than the people of God do. They know how to be astute. And I tell you, Verse 9, make friends for yourselves by means of the unrighteous money so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. These are a couple of key verses here. So whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. See, that's why a lot of people say, oh, I've heard people say to me, oh, PT, man, if I just start really, if I get rich, I'm going to really bless this church. Well, if I get a big windfall, you know this church is going to see some of it. And you know what I always ask them? How much are you giving now? Well, you know, it's kind of tight. How long has it been tight? Well, you know, most of my adult life. And I say to them, I says, and I share this verse. I say, can I tell you something? You could earn $10 million and you probably wouldn't give any. Because if you can't do it with a little, you won't do it with a lot. Because once you get that lot, you want to keep a lot. You don't want to give a lot. That's the grip that money has on us. See, we think we will do something when we get it. It doesn't work that way. So if you've been faithful with the unrighteous money, who will trust you with what is genuine? And if you do not have, if you have not been faithful with what brings, excuse me, what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? No household slave can be the slave of two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. Here's the bottom line, Jesus says, you can't be a slave to God and a slave to money. I love this because here it is, the Pharisees. Remember the religious dudes of the day, the guys that knew the Bible, walked around in robes and they wanted everybody to see them. The Pharisees who were lovers of money because everybody thought if you had money, you were spiritual. Not true. We're listening to all of those things, and what were they doing? They were scoffing at Jesus. And Jesus told them, you know what? You're the ones who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly admired by people is revolting in God's sight. And he's, he's inverting the kingdom principles versus the, the worldly principles that they were experiencing in that day in the belief system. Jesus is basically saying, just because you've got money doesn't mean you're righteous. Because the Pharisees really begin to treat, to teach, and to promote that. So I want you to see here, there's a spiritual test. Because in this story, the boss, 
he decides to fire one of his managers for poor performance because he was basically wasting his money. That's what the Greek word there means. Uh, it means to, it means to uh, scatter. It means to disperse. I mean, basically, as his manager, he was just tossing money out and spending it and doing whatever he wanted with it. So he's going to get fired. So what does this guy think? He goes, man, I need money. I'm going to lose my job. My skill set is really small. So what does he do? He calls in all of these bosses' creditors. And he begins to hand out these big, deep discounts. I'm going to give you 20%. I'm going to give you 50%. You know why? Because it's kind of the quid pro quo. I'll do for you. Man, when I'm done here, you'll do for me. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we're thinking, wow. And the boss commended him for his shrewdness, for being astute. That Greek word there really has to do with being thoughtful, planning, and prudent. Let me, hear, let me just say first and foremost that Jesus is not advocating dishonesty. Here's my recommendation to every one of you. Don't go to work tomorrow and start discounting people or borrowing money from the company and then come to Luke 16 and say, well, I was just, you know, I was just trying to be an astute business person. It won't work. As a matter of fact, it might land you in jail. Remember, this is a parable that Jesus is telling that he wants to distill some principles out of it. People go, wow, is Jesus saying, oh, good, be dishonest? Absolutely not. This man is labeled unjust, though. So what is Jesus advocating? He tells us in verse 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So see, he's taking this earthly thing and he's turning it into an eternal principle and teaching. He says, use money prudently to make friends and specifically friends who will welcome you into eternity. In other words, you know what he's really saying? Who can welcome you into eternity? God. He's saying, use your resources, use your mammon, your money to do what? To please God. And that's what we want to talk about for these next few weeks. Then in verses 10 and 12, Jesus puts a new spin on it. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. Here's a good principle. If you want to be trusted with a little, take care of it now. Because the more you're you're faithful with the little bit that you have, the more you'll get in God's economy. Because he'll say, I can begin to give this to you. I can trust you with it. If you can't be trusted with money, who will trust you with true riches? That's what verse 11 says. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? We'll talk about true riches in a moment. And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? He said, you know, with God. How are you dealing with God's stuff? If you can't be trusted with money, how can he trust you with the true riches? See, money becomes this test, loved ones. And we don't like this. It's too practical. It's not up in the cloud spirituality, but it is. If you can handy money, handle your money well, God says, I'm going to trust you with bigger things. He would call them true riches. See, Jesus doesn't define what the true riches really are here but we'll look at that in just a few minutes. How many, if you're a parent, you understand this. I had two sons, and from early on, I had one son that if I gave him money for anything, it's like opening his hand and pouring water in it. And then I had another son 
that it was like he had his hand like this. I'd put the money in it. He'd close it and stick it in his pocket. And somewhere before the end of the day, he'd make it up to his room and put it in a desk drawer. And I'd ask the other one, well, what'd you do with it? Oh, I went to this, I went to this, and I went to this. And he never got another dime from me, you know. And that's not true. But, but isn't it true? As parents, we do that with our kids. We want to test them. We want to see how will they handle that $3 or that $5 or whatever it is. And when we see that they're responsible for it, we'll give them more. My older son always got money because I knew I could borrow it if I needed it, you know. I could go back to him. But see, Jesus applied this to money and true riches. God watches to see, loved ones, how you and I handle his money because it matters. It's a test. And if you flunk this test, you'll miss out on something that matters even more than money. So you'll see money is important because it's also a shared resource. One of the big ideas of Jesus' story about the shrewd manager is, guess what? You and I are managers. We're not owners. But how many of in this room right now are acting like Owners. It's ours. It's mine. Whose money was, the, was that manager working with? He was working with his boss's money. It wasn't his own. And Jesus affirms that. And we're taught this in many other places of the Bible. Everything belongs to God. And we simply get to manage it. Note this verse, uh, uh, Psalm 24.1 says this. The earth, the earth and everything in it the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. Now, some of you that maybe would have a tendency toward Phariseeism would want to argue and scoff and go, well, that's just a psalm. No, that's the word of God. Jesus teaches throughout the scripture. The Bible teaches that everything belongs to God and we get to manage it. It's God's money. It's God's stuff. Even your own life is not your own. Did you know that? You are not your own. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 6. He said, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price, a very steep price, I mind you. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You're not your own, loved ones. We have been bought with a price, with the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ where he laid down his life. He died for our sins and our life. On the third day, he resurrected to say, I want to give you new life, and I want to come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. And God owns everything, and he gives everything that you have, loved ones. Never forget, he gives it to you so you could be a manager, so you could steward it. Not just your money, but that's part of it. But your money, your time, your energy, your gifts, your abilities. And sometimes there's people that come to a church like this and they say, well, I'm going to give a lot of money. And then I'm clear and I'm clean. No, that's just a part of it. You have gifts, you have abilities, you have skills that God says, I want you to steward them for the kingdom as well. So we need to be asking God at times, Lord, what do you want me to do with your money? Uh, Lord, what do you want me to do with your car? Your house. You want me to open it up for something? You want me to become more hospitable? 
See, church is often called as stewardship, which is just an old word for management. And too often when churches talk about stewardship, it's always in the context of giving. That's why I never talk about just, I mean, I've done a couple of standalone giving talks over the years, but probably only two or three. I always tie it into because if you want to be, a, if you want to be able to give to God, you've got to learn to steward what you already have. So stewardship, loved ones, isn't just about money. It's about what are you doing with everything you have, including your life. Because see, your life is God's gift to you. What you make and do with your life one day will be your gift back to God. See, money, it's a good tool, but it's really a lousy God. Have you ever noticed that? How many know what this is? Shovel, yeah. Small shovel. It's got a, probably another name, but let's call it a shovel. Let's call it a small shovel. What is it? It's a tool. Did you know that this tool is amoral? It is neither good nor evil, but you could use it for good, or you could use it for evil, for instance. I could use this shovel. Let's say I go to some place and I go to a land where they, they need a well dug. I could dig a well, maybe come up with fresh water so that people could drink from a well. We could establish a well there. That would be a very good thing. But if I'm of the godfather ilk, this could be used to whack somebody and then to, uh, uh, to hide, the, hide the deed by burying it. And that's true. That's, it's got two options. See, money has some of the same characteristics. It can be good. It can be evil. But it's just a tool. It's neither good nor bad. But money is like a shovel. But can you imagine if I started worshiping this shovel? Oh, God, give me more shovels. <laughs> and then every day I'd wake up and I'd clean my shovels and I'd look at my shovels. And I'd count my shovels and I'd try to think, God, I want to get more shovels. Can you help me get more shovels? And then I'd get a couple more. I'd get a real-sized one. Then I'd get a square one. And I'd get all these shovels and I'd go every day to my shrine of the shovels. <laughs> what would you guys think? You would go, yeah, uh, PT's gone loco. He's gone crazy. He's out of his mind. What if I worship money? What if I made it my goal to just simply live to get as much money as possible? What if money became the most important thing in my life? Well, then I know what you would say. Could you give me a loan? You know? <laughs> but, 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 but some people do that. Their whole focus is just to make money. And when you do that, loved ones, it can lead to something. It can lead to practical present dangers. Your money is important, but you have to understand it can lead to practical present dangers. Just like, uh, just like the shovel is a tool. Money is a tool. Tools are neither good nor bad. It all depends on how you use them. Money's a tool, but it can have these inherent dangers that you have to be aware of. Someone said money is like a power tool. Because see, this here, it doesn't come with any warning with it, but if you get a power tool, you'll probably on the box or on the tool itself, you'll get a warning because it can be very dangerous. And that's what I love about the scriptures, because it not only encourages us on how to get money and how to treat money, but it also warns us. I love the book of Proverbs because of its practical, pithy, pithy, pithy sayings that, have this, that pack this incredible punch in our lives, if you would read it. Remember, I talk about this quite often. 
where today is uh, November 13th, I would recommend you read Proverbs 13 because there's 31 Proverbs. And if you want to grow practically in your faith and how to live, read Proverbs. There's a guy that come up with, he found over 101 Proverbs that deal in 10 different categories. Some of those categories are how to have wealth and wisdom and knowledge, uh, how to work hard, how to be rich and poor, uh, provision for giving, wealth, debt and lending, stewardship and investments, righteous living as a well-to-do person. All of these different categories, there's, there's principles in Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 28 and 20, verse 22 talks about don't go fast after trying to get rich quick because money has this way to take up with like wings. Proverbs is very clear that be careful of greed and trying to get rich quick. Back to the story of the shrewd manager in Luke 16. Jesus goes on as we read in verses 13 and 14. He says, no one can have two masters. Either you will hate one and you'll love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You get the warning there? You can't serve and live for both God and money. Something or someone, loved ones, will always have to get to the top of your values pyramid. Something or someone will always be the most important thing in your life. And it's clear you can't worship God and money. So why would Jesus say this? Because many people love money more than God. That's why I say that it's, it's interesting that, that so many Christians, they'll, 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 they'll buy into the Christianity thing, hook, line, and sinker. But there's always these things they just go, nah, that's not for me. And you know which one of them is? It's money. Man, I'll take the goodies. I'll take the redemption. I'll take the heaven. I'll even take being the good person most of the time. Uh, but, but this money thing, I don't know. You know why? Because money is captivating. It's seductive. I'm a golfer, most of you know, and I, I, I don't say this to brag, but I got more golf balls than I'll probably ever lose unless my game goes really south. So uh, last, uh, the week before last, one of, the, one of the guys, one of the Creekside guys, guess what he does? He, sh he shows up. He goes, hey, PT, I was thinking about you. I'm cleaning out my garage. We're going to be moving. He's got two five-gallon <laughs> containers of golf balls. And I'm thinking, well, just what I need. Or now, well, here's the deal. So somebody said this to somebody, how much money do you really need? And they said, always a little bit more. And it's kind of like these golf balls, you know. I go out with some of you guys or I've, with some of the guys I play with here at Creekside, you know, you hit your ball all over the world. And, uh, and so I have to go help you find your ball. So while I'm helping you find your ball, I'll go find me some balls. And I keep picking them up. And so guys go, what, what are you picking them up for? You got more balls than you need. Just a few more. It's always good to have enough. Isn't it weird how seductive those things can become? And so now I got 10 more gallons of golf balls. So if anybody here needs some pair, you know, just a little parenthesis here, you come see me and I'll give you as many as you want. Here's the deal though. Money can be very seductive. I need just a little bit more. I just need something 
else. It's not neutral. It's dangerous. Look at this verse in 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10. It says this. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and they pierced themselves with many griefs. Wow, that's, that's a pretty big warning. Notice Paul, though, and here sometimes we forget this. Notice, Paul didn't say that money is the root to all evil. What is it? It's the love of. That's why I say you can have as much money as you want or you can earn or you can have, but here's the deal. Where's your first love? What's your major priority? The love of money can plunge you into ruin and destruction. The love of money can keep you from God. Don't underestimate the seductive power of money. See, how many of us would say, oh, man, love to win the lottery. Listen to this. Past winners of mega lottery drawings and financial planners have some sound advice. Number one, stick to a budget, invest wisely, learn to say no, and be prepared to lose friends while riding an emotional roller coaster of joy, anxiety, guilt, and distrust. It's funny because Proverbs talks about every one of those things. One lady said, I had to adapt to my new life, said Sandra Hayes, 52, a former child services social worker who split a, 320, a 224 million Powerball jackpot with a dozen co-workers in 2006. She collected a lump sum that was in excess of $6 million after taxes. For most of us, we would consider that generational wealth. She said, I had to endure the greed and the need that people have trying to get to you to release your money to them. It caused a lot of emotional pain. These are people who you've loved deep down and now they're turning into vampires trying to suck the blood out of me. There's the two-time New Jersey uh, lottery winner who squandered her $5.4 million fortune. There's a West Virginia man who won $315 million a decade ago on Christmas said the windfall was to blame for his, uh, for his uh, granddaughter's uh, overdose, his divorce, hundreds of lawsuits, and an absence of true friends. The National Endowment for Financial Education cautions those who receive a financial windfall, whether from lottery winnings, divorce settlements, cashed out stock options, or family inheritance. You need to plan for the psychological needs as well as the financial strategies. The Denver-based nonprofit estimates that as many as 70% of the people who land sudden windfalls lose their money within three years. And we see that with people who have won millions in the lotto. It's seductive. You have to be careful with your money. Money's important. Hear me, but it cannot be priority one. Mark 12, 28 through 31, Jesus says this. One of the teachers of the law came, and he heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important, the most important one answer, Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Therefore, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Here's the second most important commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said there's no commandment greater than these two. What's most important? It's to love God. 
and to love people. Jesus was clear that these are the most important things we can do in our lives, loved ones. You can pile up riches, but if you don't love God and you don't love people, you're going to end up being poor toward God. In the words of the great theologians called the Beatles, they said it well. I don't care too much for money because money can't buy me love. And it's really true. Jesus said that if we can't handle money, who am I going to trust? Who's going to trust you with true riches? What are the true riches? Here's what the true riches are, I believe, Jesus was talking about. It's the true riches of life are made up in a relationship with God and relationships with people. In another story in Luke chapter 12, Jesus talked about a man whose business prospered beyond his greatest imagination. I mean, he, he, was, he was bigger than Bill Gates. He built bigger barns, and they just kept getting bigger and fuller, and he just kept building greater bank accounts. And finally, he kicked back, and he said, I'm set. I'm going to kick back and have some fun and enjoy this. He lays down that night, and he gets a call. God shows up. He looks at me and says, you fool. I am coming for your life tonight. Now, what's going to happen to everything you've piled up. Here's the punchline. Luke chapter 12, verse 21. This is how it will be with whoever stores up for themselves but is not rich toward God. See, we all have that time coming, you know. He was rich financially but poor toward God. That is never a good trade-off, loved ones. The true riches that we are to be rich toward God and to have rich relationship with God that makes us full and rich in life and with other people. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin don't destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's a key principle that people really don't believe, but our heart always follows our riches. Our riches don't follow our heart. Here's that contrast again between financial riches and true riches. How do you store up riches in heaven? How do you send it ahead? Will you do it when you use your money to help people, to help further the kingdom of God. How do you know that? Well, there's only, you know what three things are going to be in heaven, don't you? Do you? There are three things in heaven that I know of. Number one, God, the triune God, the heavenly Father, the blessed Son, and the Holy Spirit. The triune God is going to be in heaven. The second thing that's going to be in heaven is people. Third thing that is going to be in heaven is His Word. Because everything of eternity is run on the basis of his word. What can you invest in? See, those are the things of true riches that you can't take money with you. You can only invest it. Here's a letter from a lady to dear Ann Landers. It says this, my aunt, my aunt Emma was married to a tightwad who was also a little strange. He made a good salary, but they lived frugally because he insisted on putting 20% of his paycheck under the mattress. The man doesn't trust banks. The money, he said, was going to come in handy in their old age. 
When Uncle Oliver was 60, he was stricken with cancer. And toward the end, he made Aunt Emma premise, promise in the presence of his brothers that she would put the money he had stashed away in the coffin so that if he needed to buy his way into heaven, he would be able to. Now, they all knew that he was a little odd, eccentric, and strange. But it was clearly a crazy man's dying request. Well, Aunt Emma did promise, however, and she assured Uncle Always Brothers that uh, she was a woman of her word and she would do what he asked. So the following morning, she took the money, which was about $126,000, to the bank and she deposited. When Uncle Ollie died, she wrote a check and put it in the casket. <laughs> I love that. Smart woman. But you know, she understood. You can't take it with you. You have never seen a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. We can't take our stuff with us. Oh, but guess what? We can send it ahead for when we get there. How do you do that? Well, what do you mean, send it ahead? Am I going to need currency up in heaven? No, 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 no. Jesus is talking about eternal things. What did he say are the things that really matter? Relationship with God and relationship with people. Why does this church in the last number of years give away over $415,000? Why does, and that's not even our, our community crab group that has given close to $200,000 in the last eight years to schools and projects. In our, why do we do that? There's people that complain, why do you do that? Here's why. We're sending it ahead. We're investing in what is eternal. I don't know how this is going to work out, but it was back in, I think, 2004 that this church made a determination when we could not afford it to support a church in Nicaragua, pastors there to plant a church, and since then they planted two other churches, kind of the same ilk that we have, kingdom-minded. I hope, I believe, I trust that I'm going to go to heaven one of these days. I know that. Um, but, but I trust that when I get there, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some brown Nicaraguans. I was there uh, 10 years ago for their five-year anniversary, seven years ago, whatever. But I'm going to stand there, and I, bet, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some brown Nicaraguans. Are you the pastor that led your church to support our church? We're here because of that ministry, because of your support. How many students might we reach and maybe in heaven because of the crab feed and their exposure to your generosity? See, that's how we send it ahead. Because we're going to go there someday, and I hope that every one of us has this sense of understanding that it isn't just about giving money. It's investing with your heart, knowing that there's going to be people you will stand with and you will be around, that they just might be able to come up to you and say thank you. I hope that when I move on from here, past the baton, and this thing continues to take off, this church, that I'll be old, and then I'm going to die, and then I'm going to go to heaven. And 25 years later, somebody comes up to me and goes, we heard about you. You were the pastor there for 30 years or so. Thank you. I never met you, 
But you established this church with a great group of people in Martinez that continued on long after you passed. And I'm a recipient of that grace. So that we're never loved ones just thinking about today and tomorrow. We're thinking about eternity and getting there. That's loved ones, how we send it ahead. And so we're going to be talking about that. But I want you to have a good understanding of what money's really about. John DeButts was chairman of AT&T. Chairman of AT&T had thousands of employees under him. He was wealthy. He was influential. Business leaders, political leaders called him for advice. But he realized how invaluable that all was one day when he had serious health problems. He had to go to the hospital. Nobody came to visit him. Nobody sent him a card. Nobody gave him a phone call. And coming out, he said, the only one there was the only one I had largely ignored, my wife. See, Jesus is all about relationships. And so as we move, I want to be a church that's taking care of people around us. We're not ignoring anybody. We're doing our best. Jesus bought you and me, loved ones, with a great price, his life and his love. May we invest in what he says is true riches, our relationship with him and other people.